0: This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology
1: trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything
0: in between. I think the local time is 11.37am. We wish you a warm welcome home, a great stay in the Winnipeg area, or a safe and pleasant journey to your next destination.
1: Can we go to the RBC
0: Convention Center? Part of our Discovery Forum
2: is actually the knowledge and technology uh, translation. So, in order to be effective as an industry, you have to do good research that matters to all of your industry uh, value chain partners. Hi
1: everyone, I'm Stephanie Gordon, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager. This past week, I traveled to Winnipeg to attend the Canola Discovery Forum. It was a loaded event that focused on all aspects of integrated pest management from producer tools to genetic resources. While they won't be rehashing everything that happened, I do want to share some of the highlights and conversations that I had. One particular conversation was with the bug guy, or as he's known in the industry,
3: Keith Gobert, Canola Council Agronomy Specialist.
1: After his presentation, I asked him what's one area growers can improve in when it comes to insect management.
3: So growers can improve regardless, insect or any other issue they have, their biggest improvement is scouting in their field. So I've said in the past, and I've stolen it from others, the best investment they can make in canola agronomy is their shadow. Their shadow in their field, understanding what's happening as the growing season progresses.
1: And you mentioned uh, leaves. Leaves were a good indicator of what. how useful are leaves to a grower.
3: So I made that. It's sort of a joke or a facetious comment that there are some really high-tech, expensive instruments out in their field uh, referring to leaves. Uh, a canola plant will tell you if it's unhappy. It'll show you that it's turning blue or green or wilting when it shouldn't. And there's really key indicators as you walk through your crop. But a big, green, healthy leaf with no holes in it indicates that your crop's probably off to a good start. If you have some insects that are chewing holes in those leaves that are going to continue to chew holes in those leaves and move up onto the pods when the leaves are gone, you've probably got a four-week window of clues as those leaves disappear that will tell you when you should be out managing insects and a weekly scouting trip, it would be very difficult to miss that if you were looking for it.
1: And timing, how important is timing in terms of attacking the issue?
3: On timing, it's really critical to sort of understand what the issues are, if this is something that you're going to need to manage in season, or if it's more of a thing that pertains to the crop rotation uh, across your farm. So timing, I, I tell growers they need to be looking at their crop every week, but really as long as you're doing a good job of looking every second week the chances of you missing something are relatively low. I'm going to put a caveat on their flea beetles, seem like they're in every second day kind of a check if you're having issues with them. So it really depends on what problems you expect and what the chances are that you're gonna miss something. Very few of the pests that we have that affect our crop arrive unexpectedly and attack aggressively quickly. So flea beetles are a good example of something that maybe doesn't follow that rule. But cabbage seed pod weevils, for example, might have a really narrow window of treatment, but we know when that window is. It's when the crop starts to flower. So the grower anticipates he's gonna need to scout right at that time. So there's some really time sensitive, critical time periods but nothing that's really onerous for a grower to do.
1: And you talked a bit about how good agronomy is also good insect management, and in particular about stand establishment. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you were talking about with good stand establishment and seeding depth uh, in terms of canola, and how that really helps the plant uh, remain competitive?
3: So in terms of being the insect pest specialist with the Canola Council, I often told growers that I rarely see a flea beetle problem that's a standalone alone issue. So, Um, and by standalone, I mean only an issue that's caused by high flea beetle pressure typically you have one chance to get your crop off to a really good start and by a really good start that's things like proper seeding depth into moist soil nice temperature pick a good variety that's relevant for the problems that you might expect but from that point on it's almost like your yield potential goes down so if you've seeded too deep or you have a little bit of crusting, or you have actually a lot of trash, more trash than you realized when you pulled into that field, and you get less plants established, suddenly it becomes really relevant for flea beetles if instead of a target eight plants per square foot, you're down to, down to three, you don't really have one or two to donate to some insects chewing. So if the temperature improves or increases really rapidly, the insects start to feed, your crop's coming out of the ground relatively slowly doesn't really matter what seed treatment you put on your on your crop those flea beetles are gonna take a bite and if a few bites attribute to a lot of leaf area then you're gonna have a flea beetle problem it's probably one that requires a foliar or insecticide to manage rather than relying on a seed treatment and our seed treatments are great but they're not a standalone by themselves product in every field in the prairies
1: And how effective do you feel growers are at eyeballing seeding depth?
3: (laughs) So you heard my comments in the in the room. Uh, Growers think that they're very accurate uh, checking seeding depth and and my experience would tell me that that's rarely the case. Seeding depth changes as you move across the field. It changes from field to field and I I think growers simply uh, most growers need to spend a little more time looking. Uh, The the funny thing is that we're pretty successful at starting our canola crop and getting it off to a good start. We tend to rely on that half an inch or three quarters an inch of rain in that first 10 days and that forgives almost all of our mistakes. So if you tend to be a little on the deep side seeding and you get it into moisture and the crop grows just fine, um, you might not notice that you're 10 or 15% lighter on emergence than you could otherwise have been, but if you get a little deeper and it stays and it remains as tough conditions, and you're suddenly you're at 50% emergence, and you seeded a little lighter than you wanted to, or then you, you seeded a little lighter because it, the cost was up on your seed. You also had a little heavier barley crop than you remembered last year, or wheat stubble, and, and those things compound each other, and all of a sudden you're at 25% emergence instead of your typical 75. That becomes a very difficult crop to manage, whether it's insects or staging on a fungicide application. So. So growers, in my experience, um, uh, the the single easiest thing for them to change would be seeding depth, and they probably need to change it more often as they move from field to field across so the farm.
1: Keith had a lot of good information to share, but some of the more interesting conversations I had were with canola growers themselves. I really wanted to find out how the harvest has been for them and how they were feeling about the Canada-China trade dispute. So, I caught up with one Alberta canola producer after he finished presenting on the producer panel.
4: Yeah, so Scott Keller farms south of Camrose, New Norway. Um, we grow uh, wheat, barley, canola, peas, faba beans. It was another challenging harvest for for sure. We just finished 12 days ago now, um, start of November there. Um, no, not the uh, it's what we're getting used to, unfortunately, is, is crappy harvest weather. So it's like six years in a row of challenging harvests.
1: What would you say is one of your biggest concerns as a canola grower right now?
4: Well, outside the China market and, and things like, like that, uh, club root is the biggest threat. We, if we continue to ignore the problem it, it's going to decimate this industry um, I'm close enough to the to Edmonton to hear some first-hand stories of, of if you can't grow canola profitably how the heck can your farm be profitable that's that's big we don't we don't have it, it canola pays the bills and we have to take care of that the goose that lays the golden eggs and we're not by growing a one in two um, I'm thankful that we've got research that shows that those spores break down and a one in three, if you can implement a one in three before club root gets sever, you know, established on your farm, you're gonna be miles and miles ahead. Your profitability should be able to maintain for years and years and years. And it, it, from what we've seen in the air in our area, um, it's, maybe it takes 10 years and you've got a wreck like it's it's we, there were some pretty ugly looking fields in our area this year we did have a wetter year uh following a dry year last year and the club route is something that shows up on wet years for sure um but it's it's starting to become an eye opener i think so for for, for guys so like i i was worried about it when I, we first discovered it in our county um 10 years ago and that's like I said we had a decent rotation then we were one in three and we just started adopting resistant varieties and and managing it that way to try to keep this it from ever becoming established on our farms so
1: and is there anything that you personally want to improve upon or learn more of
4: Well, we have to figure out what we're gonna do with these these new pathotypes like it's uh, they just keep rolling out like they said the one speaker today said you know we've got to the end of the alphabet and now we got to give them two letters like it's you, you can't the, the genetic diversity of of the disease is so massive that it's just going to break down any resistance that we that we can keep coming up with as, as scientists and plant breeders and we can't just keep throwing money at the problem and, and the answer is staring us right in the face and it's crop rotation it's that simple you know we we can't we can't stretch these new, this any new genetics where we get any new resistance. We're not going to be able to stretch that out longer without implementing better crop rotations. And at the end of the day, that means we have to have some other profitable crops to rotate with because you can't put something in that's not going to give you a chance of making money. So um, that right there so alternative cropping options and whatever they may be every area is going to be different but some some guys have the option of uh, five six seven or eight and and they're and that's fortunate for them but i would think that there's no place in the prairies that can't grow at least three crops profitably
1: um what uh ipm tools do you use pretty regularly on your operation
4: uh, crop rotation is is definitely the main one um, it's the backbone of any plan. So we've pretty much always had a one in three rotation. Uh, we've moved towards a one, a one in four as far as, as far as canola goes by adding some pulse crops to our rotation. So um, that's really the backbone of it. And I, I've seen where it's reduced just crop, crop rotation. You, you really can't do uh, integrated pest management without having a, crop ro- a, a good crop rotation.
1: And what was the pulse crop that you added in this year?
4: Uh, peas and faba beans a few years ago, both of them. So like peas tend to do better when it's dry and faba beans tend to do better when it's wet. So for our area we're capable of having both those um, as, as a pretty regular occurrence. So, Um, You can't predict is it going to be a wet or a dry year next year and just say well I'll just grow the crop. I think the weather's going to match. So um, that's why we we tend to grow peas and faba beans both.
1: Final question. Let's make it a fun one. Think about your entire operation. Uh, Say you win the lottery tomorrow and profit economics become less of an issue. What is one change that you would make on your farm?
4: Oh geez. (laughs) Given the crappy harvests we've had? If I had won, if I won the lottery, jeez. I'd probably just seed it all to hay and let somebody just custom do it and then just sit back and do nothing. I don't know. That's not a good answer.
1: Well, it's not a very realistic question because yeah. that's not what you're dealing with, but say so you haven't won the lottery. Do you have anything that you're really excited to be trying for 2020? One thing in your plans for the upcoming year? <sighs>
4: i've been trying to get winter wheat back into the farm but we cannot get way harvest gone you just can't take any days to 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 do that so because like i said we've had challenging harvests with lots of rain and lots of snow and have another crop that i can combine in august would be great you know before we've never got snow in august yet like knock on wood but uh that's still in August, so that's why we're trying to keep peas in the rotation, to get earlier crops to, to, to harvest. So, um,
1: Another producer I caught up with was Troy LaForge, who's based in Saskatchewan. So
2: Troy LaForge, um, based out of Swift Current, and we farm in the Cadillac area of Saskatchewan. And uh, yeah, we grew uh, lentils, durum, barley, uh,
1: flax, and mustard this year. What's interesting about his presence at the canola forum was that he doesn't currently grow canola, but he was looking into it. Um,
2: so basically, gonna look at a first our first half section of canola on our farm. It isn't that we don't grow oil seeds; just haven't grown canola as an oil seed. Um, basically, gonna utilize a lot of the research um, that we've implemented in our agronomy group um, and look at basically the water that we have available on our farm in an average year and then get focused on a reasonable target for that and apply the inputs. Um, reality is I'm looking at canola because we've got some specific weed issues that I think canola will deal with best. And if I'm gonna grow canola, I wanna try and maximize my profitability. So,
1: Are you not worried about all the trade disputes currently going on among uh, Canada and China? Yeah,
2: no, that's absolutely an issue. Um, however, having said that, you know, if, if $9 is what our price is going to be on canola, then it makes me that much more focused to grow a good crop, right? If it was $12 canola and I, you know, happen to miss five bushels, well, you know what, I've still got a good profit. But, you know, in the big picture, if the prices are lower, we have to be that much more on our game. So I'm going to be that much more focused to get a good crop.
1: And kind of economics aside, what is your, your biggest agronomic concern? this year, or this coming year, or just in general?
2: In our area, it's uh, becoming kochia, um, herbicide-resistant kochias. And uh, you, know, y- you can never know what's around you on your neighbor's fields, but looking around the general area, kochia is becoming a major concern, and uh, becoming targeted on making sure it's, uh, it's controlled in crop. But then some of those um, areas that basically inoculate the fields, salinity areas, where the kosher basically grows well and you can't control it because the crop doesn't establish, trying to deal with some of those areas and getting them seeded down to forage that we can utilize in uh, other ways on
1: our farm. Okay, so this is more of a fun question. Say you win the lottery tomorrow. What is one change you're making on your operation if economics and uh, finances weren't an issue? The big picture, like what's one change you can make?
2: Um... I'd, I think I'd build a, I'd build a seed cleaning plant, um, you know, color sorter, um, gravity tables, all the bells and whistles. Uh, I think we've got a lot of capacity to uh, really change the way we farm with seed cleaning equipment on farm. You know, take into account the intercropping idea. If I can better sort those crops. That's a big win for our farm. That's just another way of uh, really increasing our our profits at the end of the day Um, and offer a service to the community around us as well. I think there's a a big problem with getting good quality seed lots of times. We are seed growers, so I'd like to provide that not only in that sale, but also when growers have got their own seed. um, I think there's like a a really good opportunity to do a better job of uh, providing seed to growers
1: both Troy and Scott were featured on the producer panel earlier that day, sharing IPM strategies. Agronomy was definitely the focus of the conference, despite the China-Canada trade dispute lurking in the background. And uh, as everyone is well aware, this past March, China stopped buying canola seed experts from Canada. The latest update provided from the Canola Council on a podcast released in late August, shared that while some canola was able to make its way into the country, purchasing had not returned to normal levels. However, that doesn't mean that Canadian canola isn't still making its way into China. A recent article from Bloomberg, published at the end of October, revealed that China was using the UAE as a backdoor to buy Canadian canola oil. The reporter who found that story was also at the Canola Discovery Forum, and I caught up with her after the event wrapped up.
0: Hello, my name is Ashley Robinson, and I'm a reporter with Bloomberg News based in Winnipeg. And so you recently wrote a story
1: about China using the UAE as a backdoor to buy Canadian canola. Can you tell me a bit more about how you came across that?
0: Well, so since China, the whole China situation first unfolded back in March. uh, Every month when the Canadian Grain Commission puts out its monthly export numbers, which detail where we're exporting crops to in uh from canada around the world i would always go and check to see where canola is going just to see where in the world we're going and also see how much it's dropped off with china because every month it's just always an extremely depressing amount uh, of how little we're sending compared to what we used to but um when i looked there was um for the September numbers, there was a couple numbers that just popped up right away um, that were different and they were from Middle Eastern nations. Um, and the one that was really crazy was the United Arab Emirates number. So I was like, that's interesting. So I did something up and then I was like, I called around to a bunch of different uh, market analysts that I know kind of just asking anyone why in the world would you know like why we'd be seeing so much going to the UAE and uh, the last guy that got back to me of course uh, he said he's like well my contact in China told me it's because they're buying what's being crushed in the UAE and bringing in from in from the UAE to China so basically the Canadian canola was going to the United Emirates getting crushed there and then going to China so it wasn't directly coming from Canada so they basically found a loophole Yes, which uh, lots of people had been expecting, I think, to see that this would happen because just China still needs that canola. like they've built up such a they built up such a society based on using canola oil in a lot of their health themes and stuff. So they need to still get it and basically, China just wants to look tough to us by not directly importing it from Canada. And
1: did the analysts say anything about what this loophole means for eventually? resolving the trade dispute issue?
0: No but um, I'm thinking just like myself what I know um, and also from like covering stuff to do with China and the U.S. soybean issue it's really changing trade routes so it'll probably end up in the long term affecting how our trade is done because there's going to be these plants in the United Arab Emirates that are now going to be dependent on crushing our canola to send to China and it might still continue or who knows if China does come back, um, our prices will go up. So right now it's also super low. So it's a really good business opportunity for the UAE because they're buying it cheap and selling it higher to China. So we could see changes to trade flows, but then we also could see things change back to the way they were once the price goes back up. But who knows? That's a future and I don't have a crystal ball.
1: (laughs) So there you have it. The forum was a great way to reconnect with the canola industry and realize just how much work goes on behind the scenes after the growing season by researchers, industry members, agronomists, education extension, and the council themselves to help canola growers keep growing canola to the best of their abilities. A lot of great research was shared over the three days that Top Crop Manager has covered previously. So I will include links to those articles within the show notes if anyone is interested in learning more about the latest in club group management, uh, why all the buzz around aster yellows, and how climate change is bringing new pests into Western Canada. Thank you to everyone who tuned in bi-weekly for this podcast. We hope you've been able to learn something that will help you in your operation. You can catch all of our previous episodes online at topcropmanager.com podcasts. In our previous episodes, we've covered post-harvest best management practices, optimizing fall fertilizer application, how to manage risk with crop rotation, which is a big one given the weather and trade concerns. And we even did a pulse check on the pea industry in Manitoba and how it's growing there. Um, so head on over to topcropmanager.com podcasts to check them out. And thanks to everyone for listening and stay tuned for more. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our episodes, visit topcropmanager.com podcasts.